Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Busby Bay podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Nathan Heinschel and Polly Questel. And uh, there's a lot going on in the world of football. Um, the uh, um, the uh, fears of Super League have officially come to fruition. And uh, Manchester United... Uh, appears to be at the front of this, uh, particularly Joel Glazer and uh, Edward Word. And, um, yeah, how are we feeling about this, guys? This is uh, an incredible undersell job from you, Colin. The entire world is treating this like this is a nuclear brinkmanship right now between UEFA and the uh, members of the Super League. And you're like, uh, yeah, things aren't good. I, I mean, more than anything, I'm sad. So, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's 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 disappointing. Are we surprised that the Glazers and Ed Woodward are at the front of this? No. Every time that there's been talk of the Super League, it's been United and Chelsea and Liverpool and City and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and and then Ed, and then it dies down and Ed Woodward then does the PR thing where he goes, whoa, whoa, don't look at me. I wasn't really part of this. The only surprising thing is that Bayern Munich somehow managed to keep their name out of it. <laughs> and PSG of all clubs as well. These yeah, are the PSG's two that part are... of this. Like, Bayern Munich have yeah. basically come out and said, I mean, they made a statement today that basically said, we are adamantly against a Super League. But this is what we do strive for, and then listed everything that the Super League was doing. Yeah. Uh, Bayern so, Munich so, is the Super League in Germany. Yeah. So so basically, one of the biggest anti-Super League talking points boils down to it removes merit from the game of football, which, since its inception and, you know, and it began its evolution throughout the world has usually been based on a pyramid league system of promotion and relegation. And obviously that over the course of time has turned into several historically successful clubs, uh, and more importantly, rich clubs, um, have sort of consolidated their power. And despite the pyramid system still being in place, we see pretty much the same, you know, handful of teams competing for, you know, the top spots and leagues have started to accommodate them and, you know, financial sustainability became much easier for them. And now it is to the point where they're going to create their own league that removes merit and the same 12, 15 teams are going to play each other in a midweek competition for the rest of time. Well, I mean, they were clearly inspired um, watching that awful Netflix show that came out uh, right at the be- the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the English game, you know, the one where they, they basically kicked all the pores out of playing football. Um, they were, like, really into that idea. Um, and so they're trying it again. Um, I don't know. It, the cycle of everything that goes through it is so quick because we went from, like, um, shock to dread and then I think a lot of us got to sleep on it. We woke up still feeling like just depressed. And then the meme cycle has just kicked in so hard now that the it's memes like... were the memes were going right away. I mean, yeah. yesterday, <laughs> as soon as I got on my phone, because I, I had the DV, I was out in the morning. I had the DVR the United match. 
So I was off my phone. So I didn't realize how big this was. I'm watching Burnley and I'm enjoying it more than I expected to enjoy a United Burnley match. Even the first half, which was bad, but not bad. And I mean, I, it was open and both teams were creating chances. Like, right, it wasn't entertaining. Right. It was, yeah, it was the first half left me like, OK, like this is more than I expected from United Burnley. And I feel very confident going into the second half that we will pull this out. And I got on I got I pulled out my phone when I was done and I expected to go on the Twitter and just see a bunch of people bitching that that Donny Van de Beek only played nine minutes. And why didn't he bring him on 30 minutes earlier? And it was that was not it at all. But and I started talking to my friends and already the memes were coming out, especially about Tottenham and, and Arsenal. And I did. I, I stayed out of it and I slept on it and I woke up this morning and I just I didn't even go on Twitter. I all of a sudden got a text from a different one of my friends being like, wow, you guys aren't even going to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's me, a, a, a guy who's an Arsenal fan. And my other friend who's an Aston Villa fan, but it's not really a football chat. It's more of a New York sports thing, but we'll bring it up from time. And he's like, you're not even going to address the fact that you guys are just going and starting your own league. And I was like, frankly, I haven't been on Twitter, so I don't know what the updated news is now that it's morning and things have had a chance, like statements have had a chance to be made. And and I'm not going to know for another hour. I'm just going to sit here and read my book because I cannot deal with this yet. Were you reading the club? Because that would be, I've already read that. I have already (laughs) read that. So none of this surprised me because look, Nathan, that's, that's the perfect point is the club describes exactly how they've already done. This is we had the first division and, in the early 90s and the late 80s, Manchester United and Tottenham and Arsenal, those were the three prominent clubs. I think Chelsea might have been involved in – oh, no, Liverpool were the ones involved. Yeah, and Everton, Everton and Chelsea might have been in there as well. Yeah. And they looked at the NFL, which was starting to take off, and they said, that's what we want. And yep. they, they went and, and met with NFL owners. They watched – they went to NFL games and spoke with owners to work to say, how can we bring that here? That's what they wanted. And they created the Premier League. And like Colin said, concessions were made. You know, everybody said the same thing. Someone quoted what Sir Alex Ferguson said today and was you you would have thought it was a Super League quote. And he was like, no, Sir Alex Ferguson said this in 1992 about the Premier League and concessions were made. And that's how they got their stranglehold at the top. And in other leagues, it was it was different. Real Madrid and Barcelona got their stranglehold on La Liga because they got to negotiate their own TV deals. So they got way more money. And the German system is set up in a way that they were lagging behind. But because Borussia Dortmund almost went bankrupt and, you know, various things happened amongst other clubs, Bayern Munich were the lone club sitting at the top of that uh, constantly in the Champions League. They were the ones that were able to sit on that money and, and accumulate it. Borussia Dortmund almost went bankrupt, so they were able to they, they actually gave them a loan, but later they were able to poach players and they sat at the top of Germany. And Italy has its was always a power thing between AC Milan but, and Berlusconi. I mean, that was, I mean, that was another model for the Premier League in the 1980s, because that's when, you know, these super owners like Berlusconi were like, we're not going to be able to make a profit on this if we want it to be the best. And we need to pour money and attract all the biggest talents in the world. And that's when they got, you know, Maradona and 
Van Basten and Rijkaard and all those players started going to Italy. I think AC Milan won like four Champions League titles in the span yeah. of 10 years. But this wave of, pre- of people started the Premier League. They, they brought in those players and then they got the TV contract because, hey, NFL, what's the key here? TV. Remember, British football was so anti-TV. They saw TV as the enemy, especially in the 80s. If, if you put a game on TV, nobody's going to show up. And that's where the 3 p.m. blackout comes from. But they said, no, we're embracing TV. And then the money started flowing in. And the, the best thing that happened to them was in the mid-2000s, the, high, the, the rise of high-speed internet, which now took their game and transported it to the world. Suddenly, if you were in China or in Africa or in the United States, you could see Thierry Henry playing. And all of a sudden, these perceptions that Americans might have had, that, that soccer is a boring game, you watch a United Arsenal match and you're like, damn, this is riveting. And this is incredible. And you, you see a young Cristiano Ronaldo and you see a, in his prime Thierry Henry, you're, tra- you're, you're fascinated by this. And suddenly all those owners, Edwards and Tottenham and Liverpool, they all cashed out and who came in, but the next wave of people who said, this is a great investment opportunity. And you wanted to make this like the NFL. Well, we're just thinking one step bigger. Let's make European soccer as a whole like the NFL. Yeah, I, so I know how the viewers and the listeners probably enjoy how we uh, talk about our own tweets, but I, I had one that was actually it, what's important about it. So I had tweeted, I was like, they released sequels to the Mighty Ducks and coming to America that were 30 plus years in the making. Now Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg get to do the same thing with their book, The Club. Joshua Robinson actually liked that tweet. Um, so clearly nice. that's a sign that it's happening. But I think it's it, it was touched upon a little bit when I was listening to the Football Ramble this morning when they I feel like they were kind of probably the first podcast to be able to touch on this with maybe cooler heads than like a fan driven podcast would be concerned with. And you know, the club, the whole idea behind it is it's English teams looking to America and wanting to emulate that. What you're seeing in the Super League now is what was an American influence is now in an American, um, you know, just, I guess, influence again, but it, it, it to like the nth degree, because now you have American owners who have bought into these clubs and that they own them and they're driving for this. You have JP Morgan that's bankrolling the whole thing. Um, that press release did not go out at a time that, you know, most English people would have seen it. That press release went out at prime time on a Sunday night for Americans. But everyone in England who cared definitely waited for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. They definitely got it. It's like, you don't need to announce it to Americans. I still think they did it then because, well, that's the, you know, I, it wasn't a working day anyway, but that's the end of their day. If you're Fenway Sports Group in Boston or if you're the Glazers in Tampa Bay, it's kind of the end of your day, but also because it buries the news in, you, in the U. And you also get it before the market opens on Monday. Yeah, that's well, Which, as, as we saw with stock but prices this morning. Could have re- could have released the news at 3 o'clock. And then it and gave the cover of darkness to fire Jose Mourinho, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, on any other day, that's – one of the reasons that I, I hate that this news has come out now, because I was not done thinking about that Burnley game when the news dropped. I mean, it 
I'd sort of dropped before the match, and then all of this, you know, wave of reports started coming in after with more of the details of, of it, even before anything was confirmed by the Super League itself, or, you know, the creation of it was shown publicly. And it's so unfair that it, it comes out now as this team continues evolving into, you know, not there yet, but closer to what we would consider a final contender project. I mean, Cavani's coming into form again. Donny van de Beek only played nine minutes, but he actually looked like he knew what he was doing out there. You know, he had a decent performance last week as well. You know, we're in the semifinal of the Europa League, which isn't ideal, but, you know, we're on our way to winning, or potentially winning as a trophy. As of now. Yeah, as of now. And then all of a sudden, Solskjaer and the players are thrown into total disarray and confusion and chaos because... You know, they. I guess they couldn't wait until the summer. They wanted to do this now. I. I don't understand. So they actually I I, told. They actually told Solskjaer before the match. Woodward told yeah, them after yeah. team sheets were handed in before the match, just to give you a timeline, which doesn't make it any better. Right, and you know the report was that there was a team meeting at Carrington this morning where Woodward gave them more of the details, and the players were angry, not just. One, they were angry that this was happening. They were also angry that they felt like Solskjaer was thrown under the bus a little bit because he goes out to the press and is supposed to answer questions about this without having any knowledge of it, you know, or only learning about it really before kickoff of a Premier League game. You know, he's got all this other shit to worry about and now suddenly existential threat to <laughs> football as we know it is on the top of the questions list for a press conference. An existential threat to the thing that he's dedicated the last two and a half years of his life to. And taken so much shit for it, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if the FA and the and UEFA are very, if they're serious about this, these threats that they're making, you know, you've got Gary Neville talking about relegate Manchester United right now. I mean, the what they've done is in an attempt to continue to grab more money is they've just allowed Ollie to be the fall guy on this one because Ed Woodward famously does not make public appearances. You see him, you know, in the stands at a game, but, you know, he's not just doing interviews on the reg. The Glazers are not present. They're generally not in Manchester, let alone giving interviews. No. They haven't and been so, at Old Trafford in three years. Yeah. And I mean, even Neil Ashton, who is a former journalist, is not in front of the camera. Ollie's the guy that you see first, and then behind him is, you know, Marcus Rashford, Paul Pogba, I guess now Mason Greenwood. Like, these are the guys who are getting stuck answering these questions. Harry Maguire, um, which is just, one, organizationally, absolutely shambolic. I mean, it, it's uh, fucking embarrassing that you um, that the leadership is forcing the laborers to deal with the brunt of the decision made by the leadership. Yeah, and Colin brings up, like, a really good point. It's you is I just feel so defeated today, not so much because of the Super League, because that, that felt inevitable to begin with. It's just the way that this team was playing. We just played an enjoyable match against Burnley, that, which is not something you say with the words Burnley in, in it too often. And when was the, la the last time we beat Burnley at Old Trafford was in 2015. This, so it's not even like, oh, the annual whipping of Burnley. This was... It's we we spanked Tottenham in the second half last week. We 
um, again, it's, it's still in my recent memory. Remember when we lost to Burnley and there was still fans in the stands and they booed us relentlessly? And like, they, they were yelling at Souls at uh, that far away. And, know, and the Glazers. And, and guess what? They were right that day. But it's you look at, OK, the Brighton match and how that ended with with Greenwood getting that that great goal. And you're like, huh, maybe something's coming with him. I said that. Here and I said it's only one game, so calm down. Let's not jump ahead of ourselves. And then the Tottenham match happened where Greenwood was great in his cameo, but the team in the second half was just was tremendous. And they they take uh, they take care of business against whoever we played in, in Europe in Girona, I guess Granada. That that that's yeah. Right. All right, sorry. And then we come out against Burnley, and yeah, it's nil-nil at halftime, but the first half was good, and the second half was way better, and there's so many positives to take. Mason Greenwood is continuing to tear it up. Donnie, like Colin said, Donnie Van de Beek now looks like he knows what he's doing. My dread was, I'm going to sign on Twitter, and it's just going to be people being like, why didn't Van de Beek play 25 minutes, and bitching about Harry Maguire. But, and, and my anger was going to be like, can't we just ignore this? Like, this team has won five in a row, and... They're playing really well, and it looks like they're they're doing what great Manchester United teams used to do, and that's get play their best at the end of the season. Um, we Project Restart last year was the best we'd played. I worried that we wouldn't be able to hit that form this year because at least that time we had a three month break. This this year we were falling apart. We're we're exhausted, and yet we're playing even better over the same comparable games. We haven't dropped any points since project restart would have started there's so I mean, much to like about this team right now and then you just go and now that the super league news drops there's just in this this feeling of what does it matter like what all right maybe we could call ourselves into a title race if city continued to lose probably not but if not what does it matter like oh let's say we lose all of our games and finish sixth oh well who cares we're going to the Super this, League. This team has had a life to it that I haven't, a sustained life to it for the past about year now. That even through fanless football has kept me interested and engaged. This team loves wanting to watch. I want to watch yep. this team as much as possible. Which is yes, for the reason love, I haven't been burnt out by how many games. This- they love being around each other. They love playing with yeah. each other, and that translates through your TV screen. You could see that. And. You know, it, it even beyond just Manchester United, I feel like I'm more into this, or I've gotten more into this sport than I've ever been. And I could not get myself to watch the Leeds versus Liverpool game that happened this afternoon. I watched maybe 20 minutes of it, and it just felt as lifeless as it's probably felt for the players playing in front of no fans. And it, it just felt like it didn't matter. And there's nothing that... I can do about it or you guys, or there's nothing Jurgen Klopp can do about it. There's nothing any of those players can do about it. And, you know, seeing all these rival clubs feel and fans feel as defeated as we feel. It's just, a, it's an incredible low that I did not expect. To my, my friend is a Liverpool fan. He said, I am all for going, getting killed, getting just steamrolled by Leeds today. And then getting up there after, after the game, just saying, well, what difference does it make? You know, if, if the players and the manager, and he, he actually, he's texting me right now, and he he's just said, if anybody, did anybody see that Jurgen Klopp 
post-match press conference, he seems genuinely upset and broken. I have not seen that yet because we're recording. But I did see his pre-match press conference where obviously they're asking him about it. And mm-hmm. and he did seem broken and upset and saying things like, you know, I want to play in a system. I want to see West Ham make the Champions League. It's great. And then, he, you know, obviously I don't want to see them get there because we're fighting with them for that last spot. We want that spot. But I want to play in a situation where we are fighting them for that last spot when Leeds scored to equalize in what the 83rd 84th minute you don't feel it like I want to revel in the fact that Liverpool are six they, they won the league and now they're six they may not even be in the Champions League next year they're kind of poopy they may and not the, even be in the Champions League next year and oh and, the fact yeah. that you didn't beat Leeds that's not gonna help you out here except yeah you know um me, imagine if imagine watching that West Ham Newcastle match on Saturday morning when when West Ham were two 0 down with ten men and suddenly they start fighting back into this game. I got really into that match and I was so happy when Lingard buried that penalty to equalize because I want to see West Ham make the Champions League because I I'm Team Chaos. I think it'll be funny. But if I, that match happens next week, there's no emotion there because. What difference does it make? They're not getting Plus it. Lingard. And I, I think one of the bigger arguments against just the, well, they're the biggest teams that everyone wants to watch anyway. I, I mean, Leicester City winning that Premier League title, even if they'd won it and then got back down, it would have been as incredible as it is. But Leicester City are now a club that is consistently in, you know, the top five, six places. They're in third now. They were pushing us for second for a while. And they're in a situation in the Premier League where they are able to sustain their squad and continue to build and get better. And, you know, they can sell their best defender and they'll just go and get another one. And they know that they won't suffer that much because the rest of their team is doing pretty good as well. And they're going to have this money to, you know, build more infrastructure and fund their youth system and become a big club. And they're in the process of doing that. And, Destroying, destroying the system that allows that to happen. Well, that, that that's what's so pervasively evil about this, too, is it's quote, the quote-unquote big six clubs from England are going to go do this. But right now, the, tradi- the traditional big six clubs aren't the, top, the six best teams in England right now. No, and, <laughs> two of them are. <laughs> and, and, what's, and what's shocking about it, too, is one of those six is only recently big. Like, and you're seeing... Leicester taking the right steps to do what Tottenham did a decade ago. You're seeing um, maybe this year is an anomaly for West Ham. Maybe it's not, but you know, they're not going to, if this super league goes through West Ham's not going to have the opportunity to quote unquote, do it the right way, you know, to become that quote unquote next big club in, in in London. And so, you know, we, we had Sheffield United that RIP, uh, they were, it, they were in it for a long time last year as far as like in the mix of just being a good team. They could have qualified for Europe if they didn't uh, fuck up project mm, restart. They were, no, they were on their way down, but it it was, it was still exciting to see. I mean, it was bad for us because obviously the context for a United fan, but that three, three game against Sheffield United was wild, you know? And, And like, it was exciting. And when we played Aston Villa last year, it was exciting. And generally the game's, that we play against the quote-unquote big clubs are not fun to watch. It's more fun to watch us play, you know, Southampton. It's not fun to watch us play Chelsea. Those games have been awful. 
And now we're going to subject ourselves to a league that we only play against other teams where the the financial stakes are so great that you can't afford to necessarily play beautiful football. You got to play pragmatic football to make sure those revenues stay hot. You know, we're going to watch a lot of like one nil games and maybe like two one games. They're not going to be. Hopefully they're exciting, but I mean, generally it does. I, I don't know. It doesn't spark joy. Anymore, no. I think this is where the Champions League has been heading recently to. Yeah, too. the new Champions League format sucks. <laughs> right. Well, but but where the Champions League is as weird, like that's part of my thing recently has been, hey, we should be watching more of the Europa League. The Europa League's fun because it's teams that know their level and they're just going at each other. Tottenham and, lost to a team whose manager was in jail. I yeah, mean, you don't get that but, in the Champions League. The teams are just they they just they go at each other because no team because every team has to play as a team. To uh, to me, the Europa League is. It's like the NCAA tournament as opposed to the Champions League being the NBA playoffs, which everybody said, oh, the NBA playoffs are amazing. And look, I'm sorry for doing the cross-sport reference, but we're here now. America, football now went We've here. We've taken so over your sport world. So How we, do you feel? We need to do this, but the NBA, it's, it's, built around, it's built around those stars. And to me, the cha- there have been too many Champions League games recently. The, the whole Barcelona-PSG tie was basically – Two teams playing pragmatic football and also being like Messi, Mbappe, Neymar. Guys, go do something to break the pragmatism. PSG sat back against Bayern the entire time and just said, Mbappe, Neymar, go on counterattacks and and try to do something, which those ended up being open games and very fun. The Barcelona-PSG matches, less so. And a lot of the Champions League matches have been less fun because it's be pragmatic, don't let this, we have to figure out a way to contain the superstar so we're going to focus our efforts on containing your superstar and then just saying to our superstar, hey, try to go do something. So that yeah, that's where this league is going to take us. But Colin, Leicester City are the reason that the Super League is happening, because let's let's not pretend that Leicester City really came out of nowhere, nowhere. They got a foreign owner. They got no. a lot yeah. of heavy investment. And, and you see this squad. with other clubs that have come up and stayed up as well. I mean, Wolves have done it to a pretty nice extent. Leeds seem like they're going to be able to do it. Um, I mean, I don't know. And they were smart with their money. They did. They won, yes. they won once. And then, you know, they, they did go out there and sign a bunch of guys to try to compete in the Champions League. And none of those signings worked out. But they did continue to invest heavily into their into their infrastructure and into their scouting so that understanding hey we're gonna lose Riyad Mahrez and we lost N'Golo Conte and maybe they didn't have Harry Maguire yet but maybe they're gonna lose somebody else we need to be able to replace them but what ended up happening is that the Premier League because of these big four then became big five then big then big six clubs got these massive revenues flowing in via the TV money, everybody became self-sustainable. That suddenly now Lester have the ability to say, no, we're not selling Harry Maguire until, unless you give us a record fee. So you're, they create the Super League now, which is going to bleed out the Premier League, to basically be like, again, now when, we, when, you get a, when West Ham gets a nice up-and-coming player, I don't know, say Declan Rice, you're not in the Super League. Suddenly you need money again because the if if the prep if these top six clubs got thrown out of the Premier League, which they won't, but let's live in a world for a second where they do, the Premier League TV deal falls apart right away because 
the broadcasters are pulling right out because they're paying for Manchester United and Chelsea and whether you like it or not, Arsenal and Tottenham because they bring eyeballs. So if those clubs are gone, they have said, I've read something that already said, oh, well, they'll bring in Celtic and Rangers and bring in a few more teams from the championship. Cool. That's not bringing in money. In which case, now these clubs aren't as financially solvent. So you have a Declan Rice. United calls up and says, we'll give you $30 for him. You need that $30 And that's restoring things to the way it used to be. That's why they want the Super League, so that they can consolidate all that talent at the top level and that the smaller clubs who are depriving them of some of that talent right now can no longer do that. Yeah, and if the Premier League can sustain itself even just for a little bit, though— if you thought the man, if you thought the United tax was intense, wait till you see that Super League tax. <laughs> like, I mean, Declan Rice is going to cost you what, 160 million? Yeah, and, and even if you know there are teams that come in and you know also player start picking up away. traction, and if in this Super League system was to stop the Super League from you know being in like getting expansion franchises or whatever, and being like, okay, Celtic, you've done well in the Premier League. You know, you're a historic club. You've got financial backing now. You're in the Super League. Yeah, but also, like Nathan said, player wages aren't going to go away, but they are. That's uh, the Athletic just released an article about an hour ago that taught one of the players talked to their agents. And the agent said, no, because the Super League is going to keep wages down. And I have a feeling that, look, they're looking at the NFL and saying, how do we get that? Well, guess what? They're going to put a salary cap in. Someone tried to tell me that salary caps are against EU law, but they have one in Spain. They'll put a salary cap in. They'll figure well, out. And a it's way based to... in Spain. Yeah. The Super League, the company. Yeah. So they'll figure out a way to do it to put in a salary cap, which will. And the owners, the owners will do this to make it as profitable as possible as well. I can't, so that I they can't aren't wait. Just you know, ex- seeing this explosion of high wages. I mean, they're going <laughs> to. They're doing this to make money for themselves. Right. How much and Tam and Gam this, this to get also, Mbappe? This is how you put in the salary cap, and suddenly Arsenal, even with Stan Kroenke and his cheapness, can compete with Manchester City. And AC Milan, who are – because the Italian league has fallen so far below in terms of financial competitiveness – how they could compete with Manchester City and PSG when they inevitably join this league – you have this even playing field. This is the problem with it. Is we have seen this, especially in the last 15, 20 years, in the American sports, in baseball, in basketball, in hockey. To an ex- we, we see it all the time now in football. Is a lot of teams know that they can't win, so they don't try. Because what's the point? In, fa- in football, it goes so heavily the other way that you now have t- teams rooting against their own team so they can get a better draft pick. But... But there's no system for that. Right. (laughs) Well, there's no system for that, but there is a system for just don't, you know, what's the point right now? So that's why they're going to want to put the salary cap in to make it like the NFL where because you don't have the quarterback, so to say. So at least in theory, even if you don't have Mbappe or Messi, you still have a chance. Monaco about to be the Alabama. Right. But you distribute the best players around the Super League so that this way everybody's got something. Everybody has something to sell. And who cares if you're winning or losing because you can't fall out of it and you'll just pluck players. The, the players can't go anywhere because there's just not 
the salary cap will keep their wages down. So they're, they won't be demanding insane moves. And they're, you won't be able – this is how they're going to wrestle power back from Mino Rayola, who, can't, who won't be able to say, oh, my client needs a 75 million, million pound fee, but then I need 20 million and his father needs 20 million. That's how they're going to wrestle all this power back. And then slowly but surely, the domestic leagues aren't going to have the money that they used to. And suddenly you get a nice little hotshot 18-year-old winger. Cool. $15 million, He's ours. So the way that this is structured now is it's supposed to be a midweek competition to replace the Champions League and Europa League, which, you know... De- coincided with well, the announcement of the well, new UEFA Champions League. Anywhere. This, huh? Europe, the Europa League. Yeah, there, sure. that, that could still exist. So, Thursday night champions. I mean, yeah, is is it possible that this coexists with the Premier League, or do you think that this evolves into something where at some point everyone else just says adios, we're Super League now? No, it'll 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 evolve. It'll co. They will strike an agreement because again, the issue that UEFA and the FAs and everybody has is they're all businesses. They all want money. They are getting getting cut out of, they were bleeding these clubs. They were making their money off these clubs and they were getting cut out of it. So the the Premier League does not want to lose these clubs. This was designed as a, and, and there's a reason that the Premier League released a statement like within two seconds of this news breaking and has shut up ever since because they've realized, well, wait, we can work in conjunction with you and you'll just you'll go off every midweek. The issue is, is it ruins everything else that makes the Premier League fun is, like I said before, maybe United claw their way back into a title race, in which case there's a title race. And that's fun and exciting. But if there's not, who cares? All right. You could get relegated from the Premier League, but none of these teams are going to be bad enough to do that. But if you're. Liverpool conceding that goal to drop points against Leeds. Who cares? Because they don't need to finish in the top four anymore. You've taken all those races out of out of play, and that's what made the league exciting from top to bottom. Was there's there's yeah it, it, we did get to a point in the late 2000s where I was enjoying it because United were really good and were competing at the top, and they were in the Champions League finals, but the top four was United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Everton and Tottenham pretended that they might have a shot every year, but they didn't. They finished fifth and sixth, and that was that, and the the rest of the league just played itself out. That's what we're going to get now, except down at the very bottom. So is it in the situation now where the Super League maybe becomes the sort of compromise deal with all these institutions that are supposedly vehemently against it? Like, do we think that it has the power to become its own thing regardless, even if all these people back up what they're saying, which I don't think any of us believe UEFA, FIFA, the Premier League will back up the kind of talk they're saying. FIFA's already starting to, like, distance itself, too. They're like, we don't want to get involved. I I mean, I think probably the best absolute best case scenario at this point um, because they did not announce the Super League just so that way they could get UEFA to change up how the Champions League is going to be done. It, you didn't get you didn't get JP Morgan, which is a multi-billion dollar organization involved with this, so that way you could just change the rules of the Champions League. 
I think you're probably your best case scenario is that this replaces the Champions League and then everything else is, you know, relatively normal. Like you still have your domestic league play and maybe you have, I guess, like top eight qualification into the Champions League and Europa League. And then so you've got everybody else who are basically fighting for what was left over of the scraps of UEFA. And then you have the automatic qualifiers every year for, um, you know, the Super League, but it, it's definitely not going away. This is this is this is the new reality. It's just a matter of like how much are domestic leagues confident and comfortable enough sticking up to it to, you know, have some kind of say and power in it. Because um, I, you know, otherwise it, it's, it's going to stick around. These one, the teams are worth a lot of money and two, they're being bankrolled by a huge company. That's not going away. That has already, you know. <laughs> started putting money into it like ASAP. Now, when we go into another tailspin of an economic collapse in the next couple of years, based on the way that the ultra rich is consolidating wealth, uh, nobody has any kind of, um, you know, safety net right now. And so when there is another financial crash, which will probably happen, I'm glad to see history's repeating itself in the the twenties. You know, that'll be an entirely different thing. Like, can you imagine the footnote that you'll read when JP Morgan goes belly up? And then you have to learn about the Super League in your textbook about American history of like the second financial meltdown of the, uh, you know, the 2000s. So, yeah. The, the, my concern is really just get to the point where it's just who cares. And I think we have we've. I don't think we had this. Maybe maybe I was younger. Maybe I was more naive. Maybe I was a, I was a child and I was just watching. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it didn't seem like we had this issue in American sports of if if you if you if you can't win, it seems like the team still tried. There was that element of make it to the dance and anything can happen. Right. And eventually teams realized probably like I, I feel like the first time we really saw it was was Kevin Odin, uh, Kevin Durant and Greg Odin was NBA teams really started tanking for that. And there was this element of if you're not good enough, just be bad because that's the best way to get good. And the worst thing you could do is be mediocre. And look, the Knicks are having some resurgent season now. And I have friends that are Knicks fans and they're arguing like, okay, but this team could be a six seed. Like, is that really that good? Like you're not doing anything as a six seed in the NBA playoffs. So So it's like you haven't been to the playoffs in eight years. But but, yeah, like so they could. It's like you're trying to sell your your fans on a playoff appearance, but that's it. And and there's just this vibe of who I like. I didn't watch Met games last year because who cares? They were bad. And there's no there's nothing that can happen to them if they stay bad. You know, in, in football, if you're the worst, you go down. But now there's just nothing. And. Yeah, United and Arsenal and, and everybody are not going to be bad enough that they're going to get relegated from the Premier League. So you're just going to be playing out a string of, well, we have a midweek game at AC Milan, but we're basically out of the Super League for this season. And we're sixth in the Premier League. So what what does it matter? I, I, that's just that's totally reflective of how fans have just gradually lost agency in the game as a whole over the past 30 years you know and it's got an ugly history but really like for instance english fa i guess the one thing that they have to combat this is they don't work the schedule around the super league which you know manchester has a very uh dark history revolving around that but that you know it could be one of those things like hey if you're playing on wednesday 
tough shit. You're playing on Friday or Saturday. But again, like... They'll be like, who cares? And they'll put out their reserve team for, right. for, the, for yeah. the Premier League. Who cares? That's and, exactly like, to me. Great, great I, I mean, that, coming in hot. If ever there has been an organization that I do not believe in their ability to govern the game properly, it's probably the English FA. And Right, the English FA, but the players don't have a union, so the players have, have no grounds to argue this on. Like, uh, Yeah, I mean, with the, with the PFA have any sort of say in it or it's not that uh, the athletic article was talking about you might see some players a little bit more hesitant to re-up their contracts this summer because you want to make sure hey there's 3.5 billion pounds coming into the super league yeah. you want to make like, sure the players get to see more of that money yeah and, and like it, you know if, if players really did want to exercise agency to try and have a say in this matter you know who are we going to be able to sell them to like what other rich club that's not in, you know, the Super League wants to put up the money to buy these players? Like, yeah, we're, like what they're in an impossible situation. It, as a fan, our best hope at this point is hoping that the club that we have invested time and blood and sweat and tears into bankrupts itself. Like that's I, I, that's the one thing we. And then like somebody's forced to own, or, you know, sell it off. But I, I think our best chance of seeing any kind of change is. It's going to have to be a united front amongst the players. If if the labor force decides, fuck you, we're not playing. We don't like where this is going. You know, we don't like how this you know was done. We weren't consulted, anything like that. That's probably your one shot because then you don't have a product on the field. Um, but again, it's going to be a money talk situation. There's going to be players. Who, I, just, who I don't even yeah. know if I see that happening because in a perfect world, that's what you would hope for because that is you know. In our history, that is how the there have been the regulations that we've gotten because the labor force said, no, you're not going to take advantage of us anymore. We can go down, you know, the entire Zola road if we'd like to. We can uh, talk about the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> we we know, haven't had, that. I, I, at least not in America, we haven't had a strike since 1994. Yeah. So and back in the 80s, what were player, players were striking because what the MVP of the NFL made a million dollars. These players are making so much money now. And they realize that this is my window of making money. Like it's it's great to see all these former players, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, et cetera, like going to war right now on 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 television. But would you be doing that if you were in the dressing room right now? Like you yeah. you could come out of money because you didn't make as much money back then, but you've got a nice cushy job now, so that you not I'm not saying that you're you're paid you are paid handsomely. You're not maybe, but Look, you, you still well, have to go to work and, and earn that living, and, and you are paid well for that. So kudos to you for, for figuring out a way to maximize your value post-career. Most players are not going to fall into the into the situation you fell into. Would you be doing this if you were in the dressing room right now? Well, and of course, Gary Neville has a little bit of an extra stake in this, too, because if you believe that trickle-down economics works in English football, then technically his team, Salford, does benefit from right. the system not necessarily changing. Uh, and, and that's part of this. Uh, I, I mean, there's been hypocrisy all over the place because obviously UEFA and FIFA are no... We're really in some quicksand right now. The, I mean, they've yeah. literally the got one. Been like, I'm going to go support Salford now. Like, I've seen some United fans on, on yeah. the bird saying, I'm going to go... I'm going to go support Salford. And I'm like, yeah. uh, not the best example here. Like Support the Richmond kickers. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Gary Neville, the, the point I was trying to make, uh, 
of all people, you know, somebody who post career has benefited enormously from his relationship with Manchester United and, you know, all of his business and networking connections, people who bankroll his hotels and restaurants and football club, you know, even just getting players on loan or like having a pipeline of scouts to find people for Salford City. Gary Neville is enormously benefited from his relationship with Manchester United. If he's willing to throw all of that away, that's cool. But it's got to be more people. <laughs> there, it, like Nathan says, it's it's got to be... They're not willing to throw it away, though. They're and, just willing to speak. Yeah. So everybody's willing to yell and shout, and they're mad that players aren't willing to do that, even though the players... Look, you if you're a player... But, yeah. it's very, to come out and speak out against this. I would have I would have loved if Liverpool walked off the pitch when the kickoff whistle blew against Leeds, but I didn't expect it in my wildest dreams to happen. Well, and it James, didn't. And James Milner, who's probably a year away from retirement, just was quoted in saying, "I don't like it, and I hope it doesn't happen." Oh, so cool. Again, we're, we're making a I huge think impact. His contract is up. He's not going to the Super Week. Yeah. What's going to make a difference is when Paul Pogba and Marcus Rashford and Virgil van Dyke and Raheem Sterling and like guys that are going to, you know, they're still in the primes of their careers. It's when these guys who come out and say, nah, son, that I mean, that's like the one shot. Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, maybe even, you know, yeah. I don't well, they think need to say the, they need to get in the Super and, League now before they're accused of only playing in farmers leagues 50 years from now. Right. And, and if, you know, anything I've read, from, uh, Sid Lowe had an article for The Guardian about the reaction in Spain. And a lot of it is either apathy or sure. And, you know, even fans of rival clubs, they're like, the, it seems that they've just accepted this was inevitable. I don't know what the attitude is like in Italy. Obviously, Germany, none of those clubs or their fan bases seem very keen on this idea. And... I don't know. It, it it is it is funny how the um, the political ambitions of the East clubs, you know, historically has really um, it just come into just a head on collision with the um, financial uh, you know will of the people running these clubs. It, you know, Barcelona has always been kind of like that resistance club to. The, you know, Real Madrid, which was Franco's team. And, and now all of a sudden here they are you know, cashing into the same cash cow, um, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool, both being these you know clubs for the for the workers, um, Liverpool having such like a socialist background and its origins. And, you know, here comes Fenway Sports Group to just piss all that away. And Klopp so. actually backed them up just now. Well, he apparently took shots at Gary Neville, but he said exactly what I just said is. A lot of stones from glass houses being thrown. Well, uh, yeah, but and Klopp kind of pointed that out. It's just the same way that I said. I like what Gary Neville said, but would you say it if you were in the dressing room? Here's what Klopp said. I wish Gary Neville would be in the hot seat somewhere and not everywhere where the most money is. He was at Manchester United. The most money is there. He's at Sky where the most money is. And that's not invalid. Yeah. And, and that's what makes, you know, the situation so frustrating is that all these people who you know, are supposedly fighting the fight against this are, I mean, well, JD use, one, is now useless claiming, and two morally bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. Carragher is now claiming that if Jurgen Klopp were to just announce that he was leaving Liverpool right now, the supporters would have the owners out within a week. I don't know about all that, but it's nice to, you know, to, to dream. 
I mean, if there's anything we've learned from this situation, I think it's that, you know, these rich assholes don't give a shit what we think, and they're going to do it anyway. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, wait, t- wait till you find out about the ownership. I forget which Milan team it is, but it's an American owner. Uh, he's like an actual supervillain. Like, these people do not care. All they care about is getting more money. This guy is clearly just motivated by the fact that he's only like 222 on the top 400 richest people on the, in the planet right now. This is all of, look, you, you, you both said it already as history repeating itself in the 20s and the financial collapses that we've already had. This, this is history throughout the world is powerful people. Everything is always about resources and land. And in this case, the resources is money. Uh, you know, it used to be natural resource. Now it's just money, but it's always powerful people take advantage of the people underneath and get them to do their bidding for their own benefit. You look at great conquerors <laughs> of the in the world and how many soldiers that they have just fighting so that I can rule more land. And now it's just. Fenway Sports Group and the Glazers and Roman Abramovich, they, they take over these these clubs that are playing football in, in England and they are just using them to make, to put more money in their own pockets. Yep. Have, have, do you either of you watch the show, uh, Brockmire? Oh, yeah. I've seen the first, I've, I've seen the first scene. Whole thing. Okay. Love that. Show. Um, yeah, this last, the last season of it, I think it's the last season is set in like 2035 or something like that. And, Baseball is like on the verge of collapse as is like the world economy Society. and yeah. And basically he becomes the, the commissioner of baseball and he's tasked with these billionaires and he's like balancing his own moral values and like wanting to save baseball with, I have to work with these billionaires who have destroyed the planet and plunged it into chaos. And now we're playing in like 130 degree weather because of global warming and all that shit. And it's, there's the subplot of like this one company that's basically Amazon has consolidated power over all social networks and created this almost like surveillance corporate state. It, it It's totally it's different from the first three seasons of the show. Polly, I see your face is not. What no, you I'm reading I'm an email. Start watching that show. Okay. But it's, it kind of made me think of that when I learned about the super league, cause it's just, <laughs> you you and I both powerless to try and save this game that you love in the midst of collapsing society and transformation into corporatism and that needs to be the new BuzzFeed personality test is what dy- dystopian piece of pop culture did your brain revert to when you heard about the Super League because <laughs> the first thing I thought of was like you know the these owners they're gonna um, finally finish pillaging every last drop of money out of out of uh, what we used to love that is, you know, European football. And then they're going to go fuck off and live on a, uh, um, international space station in, in earth's orbit while we fight over the scraps. Like it's the movie Elysium, Elysium. or something. <laughs> so, right. And I'm just going to hope that the meteor, com- like when the meteor comes, like I'm already dead. I'm just hoping like Bruce Willis doesn't blow up the asteroid at the end of I, I got to tell you though, there's, there's definitely one person in Liverpool that's happy about this. And that is the guy who owns the, print large banners sign <laughs> shop because Liverpool 
have printed so many large banners already versus United. We saw the picture of the United fans yeah, outside of Trafford today, yeah. but that was a sheet with some spray paint on it, the way you do at a fraternity house. And I'm looking at one that's also outside the Emirates. So that's Arsenal fans doing some spray paint on a sheet. But Liverpool have printed banners uh, that they've uh, – and there's one from Tottenham also painted on, gonna find on a out sheet. The... And Manchester City painted on a sheet. So clearly there is only one uh, large banner print – store in the uk and it's it's in liverpool and that guy must be doing real well right now yeah we're gonna find out that all the print shops in liverpool are owned by, are owned by fsg yeah. which <laughs> wouldn't surprise me they would think of that they're smart people they would think of that <laughs> they bought up all the print shops like five years ago hoping nobody noticed yeah chestnut checkers baby do we do we talk about the burnley game do we want to talk about that or do we want to just continue to have like who cares <laughs> No. Um, Mason Greenwood. I mean, he, he brought me hope on a weekend that ended up ending pretty sad. If, if I'm gonna wait till we find out when we're actually playing football again, uh, before we talk football again, I guess. Because I would say it seems that, like UEFA is considering. Yeah, but I mean, we're definitely playing on Sunday. Yeah, we, who do we play? Leeds. Yes. Yeah. That could be a really fun game. The problem. Look, the Super League starts in August, so like we're playing midweek games starting from August. Like we came into this weekend celebrating the fact that we finally have a midweek off. For the first time all season, United have a midweek free, and now up oh, Super League's coming. Guess what? You're starting midweek games in August against <laughs> against all the biggest teams in Europe. Right. You're not getting Luton Town, you're getting Inter Milan. Um and Lukaku and and shit like that. But we'll be playing next Sunday. UEFA threatening to kick us out of the Europa League because, well, I don't know well, how you guys felt, but I just knew that Ali Gunnar Solskjaer was yeah, not <laughs> to get to a final. He's found yeah. another way of not getting past the semifinal. No, there, there's no way that we're ever winning a semifinal again. I mean, we're going to finish, what, fifth or sixth in the Super League from now on, so. Yeah. So I guess that's going to do it for us uh, today on the Busby Bay podcast. Um, you know, we'll be back sometime, I guess, to talk about Leeds and possibly Roma if that happens. But in the meantime, uh, take care of yourselves. You know, take a walk. Listen to Beach House. If you want to watch football with passion again this Saturday, Richmond Kickers home opener against the Greenville Triumph. If you're in an international spot, watch it on YouTube. If you're in America, watch it on ESPN+. Plus. We're bringing the thunder, baby. Want to know so far. Let's go. Up the ruse. Auf Wiedersehen.